what I'm really looking for is why is this a story for O? Why is this a good fit for Oprah Magazine? We consider ourselves to be different from other outlets and that we try to focus on content that's positive and uplifting and empowering. And that might be different than some, you know, than other outlets. And so we want a pitch to feel like the person really took their time and did their research and is making the case for why it's a good fit for O specifically and not just why any and every outlet could cover it. Welcome to Freedom Slay Podcast, where fempreneurs, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs come to fast track their success. If you're a millennial girl boss, listen, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the goods, because every week you're going to get the tools that you need to slay your business goals to create a life of time and financial freedom. I'm Ganette Jones, your host and Freedom Slayer in charge here. Let's begin. Hey, hey, welcome or welcome back to the Freedom Slave podcast. Our guest today is an author, journalist, and an absolute inspiration. You're going to love this episode. As digital director at O, the Oprah magazine, she oversees all of the OprahMag.com's editorial, video, and social media content. But in addition to all of this, she also writes features about culture, entertainment, and more. And she previously had a position as senior features writer at Refinery29, where she also served as a video host and on-camera entertainment expert. The guest I'm speaking about is none other than Ariana Davis. And very recently, she penned and launched an amazing book entitled What We're Free to Do, A Guide to Living Boldly. And in this episode, we dive into her journey, how we can live more boldly, and even touch on the writing process and how you can get the attention of editors like her for your products or services. Okay, enough chatting from me. Let's hear from Ariana. Welcome, Ariana. How's it going? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation today. I'm so excited to have you here. And I've shared a bit about you in the intro, but can you take us back to the beginning of your journey? So tell us how it all began. When did you know writing was your thing, was your gift? And how did this whole internship at O, the Oprah magazine, come about? Because I do recall reading that you followed someone to a bathroom to make your first connections. And I need like all the details. So please, please share. Sure. Yes. I've known I wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. I was always a bookworm. I grew up on the Babysitter's Club and always had my nose in a book. And I think that just translated into a love of writing. So I'm one of the rare people I think that's always known they wanted to be a writer. When it was time to go to college and pick a major, I ended up journalism just as a way to, you know, write for a living. And I always loved magazines. But for me, you know, especially as a woman of color, I'm Black and Puerto Rican. And, you know, I didn't really see many people who look like me working in magazines or getting these like coveted, glamorous magazine internships. So I never really thought that world was for me. So I kind of chose newspapers by default. And I studied print journalism. And that was kind of the track that I was on. I actually was going to intern at the New York Daily News after I graduated from Penn State. And then I think my, I think it was my spring semester senior year, the publisher of Seventeen magazine, her name was Jane Jameson. She was speaking at a scholarship dinner that I was at, and she gave us amazing speech about her career and her time in magazines. And I was just so blown away and so in awe to actually, you know, have met someone who worked in this kind of glamorous, untouchable world of magazines. So after she finished speaking, I pretty much just followed her to the bathroom and literally, you know, was pretending to wash my hand. You know, I told her how much I enjoyed her talk and asked if she would give me her business card, and she did. And Not long after that, I moved to New York and I was interning at the New York Daily News, which in itself was a great experience, but 
I was always really curious about the world of magazines. So I met with Jane for coffee at the Hearst Tower and she was incredibly nice and super helpful as a fellow Penn State alum. And, you know, we just kept in touch. She she always looked out for me. And when I saw some months later that there was a post-grad internship at oh, the Oprah magazine, which is another Hearst publication just like 17, I asked if she, you know, might be able to help me find the best contact. And so she put me in touch with someone. And that was kind of really how I got my foot in the door into this world of magazines. And that was how it all started. See, and what I love about that, first of all, it's not as creepy as it initially sounded then, right? It's not like you scouted out where she, not like you scouted out where she was going to be. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go follow her. I'm going to get a ticket for this event. I'm going to make sure I follow her in the bathroom like that. No, she just did a great speech at your, not graduation, you said at a scholarship dinner. And from there you followed her, which made a lot of sense. So good on you for that tenacity. You're like, listen, I've got things I need and I'm getting answers right away. (laughs) (laughs) I was young. And I think that I, that was one of those cases where I really just went with my gut instinct and was just, I think something in me just realized like, you cannot let this person leave without at least, you know, making sure that she knows who you are showing your Mm -hmm. face. And so I'm really glad that I followed that instinct and it was definitely risky and bold. And she could have very well been like, please leave me alone. I'm in the bathroom. But luckily she was nice and and it worked out (laughs) for the best. Yes, that's perfect. And for those people who are listening right now, so they're all entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, how would they go about getting the attention of someone like you, for instance, now, right, to notice their product or service? Or do you suggest that they just keep their head down, do the work and hope like media attention just finds its way to them and is a byproduct of that hard work? Yeah, you know, there's one real straight answer for a question like that. I definitely think though taking risks is always worth it. I mean, the worst that can happen is that it's a no or that you, you know, someone doesn't respond. But I do think that in this digital culture, especially given that we're all now working remotely, people, not even me, but just anyone, I think right now getting flooded with emails and direct messages on social media. And there's a lot of pitches and a lot of people who I think are, are using the internet to try to get their name out there, trying to get attention. So I think it can be tough to kind of stick out through all of that noise. So I would say, you know, if there is anything that you think differentiates yourself from from everyone else or what's special about you or what's special about your business or your project or whatever it is that you're trying to get noticed. Really, I think lean into that and try to get that narrative out there as much as possible while keeping in mind that there's just so much information on the internet right now, so many emails and pitches and and all of our inboxes. What is it about you or your story or your project that really sticks out and, and needs someone's attention? Mm-hmm. That's such great advice. And I'm thinking, I mean, at a much smaller scale, I get pitches all the time for Black Enterprise and for the podcast, but I can only imagine <laughs> what your, your office, is, well, your house now, right? If you're working from yeah. home, it must be just full of stuff and people sending you emails and it must be crazy. So what, I guess the easier question then would be, what are your pet peeves then? Like what has someone done? And you're just like, yeah, that's not it. Don't ever approach me like that. Cause there are people that need to know, like I get inbox. I've once had a subject line read, if you read this and you answer me, then you're the lucky one. I'm like, (laughs) where does that work? Like, I need to know, where does that work? (laughs) Right. I think that anytime you can have humor, creativity in a a pitch or in a, when you're reaching out to somebody, something that's going to grab your attention. Listen, maybe that didn't work for you. I don't know that it would have worked for me either, but it might work for the right person. So I think taking that risk to get someone's attention, it can be worth it. I would say for me, I definitely think the biggest no-no is more so I can always tell when a pitch or an email has just been copy and pasted and sent to a bunch of different outlets. And it's like the same 
you and sometimes your thing. name's bigger. Like your name, they didn't even yeah. change it to the same like font style. It, exactly, exactly. And it's like, well, I get it. I, you know, I understand that if you're really trying to get your pitch into the hands of, let's say, twenty different editors, I know that it's tedious to craft a pitch for every single individual editor. But on the flip side, for us, what I'm really looking for is why is this a story for O? Why is this a good fit for Oprah Magazine? We consider ourselves to be different from other outlets and that we try to focus on content that's positive and uplifting and empowering. And that might be different than some, you know, than other outlets. And so we want a pitch to feel like the person really took their time and did their research and is making the case for why it's a good fit for O specifically and not just why any and every outlet could cover it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally get it. Now let's get into this book because I am so excited. So your book is entitled What Would Frida Do? And it's just a dope name, by the way. Like I was like, oh, that's clever because we've heard the WWJD, What Would Jesus yeah. Do? And I'm like, that's yeah. really clever. Did you come up with that? Like, I'm now curious. Did you come up with that? Did your editors come up with that? You know, how did that work? <laughs> yes. The kind of backstory of how the book came about is actually um, Steel Press, which is an imprint of Hachette books. They were looking to publish something around Frida Kahlo. They were thinking that in the times that we're living in where women are being you know, encouraged and empowered to live their boldest lives, it could be an interesting time to take a look back at the legacy of Frida. And But they were looking for the right writer. So I was approached by my agent, Wendy Sherman who had heard through the grapevine that I was a huge Frida fan. And she said that the, you know, that Hachette had been following my work for some time. And she was wondering if I might be interested in taking on a project about Frida. And of course, immediately, even though we had just recently launched OprahMag.com and my schedule was crazier than ever, but so I was a little hesitant about also taking on writing a book at the same time, but I just knew that this was something that I couldn't turn down and that could be an amazing opportunity. And so from there, this idea of a book that would be kind of a guide to living boldly kind of came up organically. I think it was my publisher who ended up suggesting the name, what would Frida do? And then I kind of added the guide to living boldly part because I, you know, there's been a lot of books and a lot of biographies that have been written about Frida over the years. And so I knew that especially, you know, there was one in 1983 by Hayden Herrera, that's kind of known as like the gold standard biography about Frida. And that's what the movie starring Selma Hayek is based on. So I knew for me, I didn't want it to just be another biography, but instead part biography for anyone who isn't familiar with her story. but also kind of a self-help guide and a guide that might inspire people to live their lives boldly, not necessarily blueprint of how you should live exactly like Frida did, but more just drawing inspiration from how far ahead of her time she was so that you might be inspired to live your own life boldly in your own way. Mm -hmm. And I think you did a great job of letting that shine through too, because I did get both pieces of that. I got the biography piece. I learned so many new things, but then I also did feel that it was that self-help piece involved with it as well. So I know a lot of people when they're looking to write books, they spend so much time thinking about things like the name that they don't even start thinking about the concept for the book. So for you, which one came first? Was it the name and the concept at the same time? Were you thinking of the concept? And then, you know, you said, okay, well, now that we know what I want to write about. You come up with the name. I come up with the subtitle. Like, how did that piece work out as far as timing? You know, I think it was really the concept kind of came first because again, it was like, I knew that I wanted it to be, I did know that there are a lot of people who maybe aren't as familiar with Frida, especially I think in the social media era where her art and her quotes and 
a lot of elements of her life are constantly shared, but people might not necessarily know the story behind it, behind her and how incredible she was. So I did want to tell her story for anyone who wasn't familiar. But again, because there was there have been so many projects and works out there about Frida's life, I also wanted to add something new to just something new to her legacy and something new to kind of continue to carry on the torch. So we really came up with the concept first before I even started writing it, because to me, I was like, I'm not going to write just another biography about Frida. So if we are going to do this and I am going to put in the time and and be passionate about it. I want to make sure that it's something that I feel will bring something new to the table. And so it was the concept first and then, and then writing from there. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. And in the book, I recall seeing a quote, I am simply, I am by Frida. I saw it a couple of times throughout the book, actually. And it got me to thinking like, how do I define myself? Like, what are my, I am's? So my question to you is what are your truths? What are your, I am's? Oh, that's such a great question. I think I am definitely a dreamer. I think that I've always kind of had my head in the clouds and I've always been someone who isn't afraid to dream big. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. I think similarly, I am also ambitious. I know that that's something that women, I think, especially aren't necessarily encouraged to be, but that's something that I consider myself to be. I'm someone who's always loved what I do and always been passionate about my work and I'm not afraid to say it. I think I am also kind and generous. And I definitely am also a writer. I think that that really is where my passion lies. So those are the ams I think that come to mind immediately. Love it. And I remember reading some about hers and one of them was like, I am an alcoholic. Like he included, yeah. like he yeah. included like some of the really positive traits and also the things that someone may look at her sideways and she did it with confidence, which was so cool. So I, yeah, I love it. And a lot of the ones you mentioned just now, I can resonate with like passion. That's my driving force. Like I drive on passion and I say all the time, you know, we have to dream big and do even bigger. Like you said earlier, what's the worst that can happen? You got to know, but if you aren't living that life you want to live, then you're living that no anyway. So just go do it. So girl, you're a girl after my own heart. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Frida was an absolute boss. And I discovered this even more reading your work. And I really enjoyed, like I mentioned earlier, learning more through your writing about her. But what I didn't expect was when I finished the book, I finished it feeling more confident than ever. Like I felt like I could run this world, right? And live more boldly. And in fact, turn my unapologetic tenacity up even more, which some people will probably be like, and I say, you're already doing too much, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So was this your mission? Like, I know you said you wanted to make it a self-help book, but what's that feeling you want readers to feel after completing your book? I definitely think that's the feeling that I want anyone who reads it to feel. So I mean, the fact that you said that means a lot. I think that, again, it's the story of Frida, but I'm not necessarily saying live your life exactly as Frida did, right? You know, she was coming of age in the 1920s and 30s. She made a lot of choices in her life that I might not necessarily agree with from, you know, her communist ideals to her relationship with Diego to, you know, there were a lot of things there. So I'm not saying like do as Frida did necessarily. I think it's more... I hope that the biggest takeaway people will take from her is that she lived her life very authentically to who she was. And she also lived it boldly. She always made the most bold decisions and choices and was unapologetic, as you said. And so I hope that anyone who reads it just takes away a little bit of inspiration or motivation to live their life just as fiercely and boldly in their own way. Mm -hmm. And I think they definitely will get that. And I'll make sure in the show notes for this episode to put the link to the book as well. And I remember reading your Marie Claire article sharing how writing this book actually led you to learn to speak Spanish fluently. So first off, kudos to you, because (laughs) I know how difficult that can be. I was actually an exchange student in Venezuela for a year, 
And I mean, I was a GCSE A student in Spanish and I got out there with a headache because I'm like, oh my God, I thought I knew everything. I know nothing. Like I'm going <laughs> to learn this language all over. So kudos to you. That's work. So can you share a bit with the audience about that journey? Sure. I'm Latina. I'm half Puerto Rican and half black. My father's black. My mom's Puerto Rican. And because of the fact that I'm biracial, so my dad doesn't speak Spanish. We grew up in the suburbs outside of Baltimore. Where I lived, there wasn't very many Latinos. And my mom's family all lived in New York. And so growing up, we just didn't really speak Spanish at home. It wasn't something that really I was super aware of until, you know, I would get around family or I, when I grew up and got older and had friends who were Latino or Latina, and they would kind of make fun of me about the fact that my Spanish is pretty broken, or they would tease the way that I speak in Spanish. And so that's always definitely been something I think that's an insecurity of mine and something that I've always wanted to get better at and improve upon. And then while working on the book, it was something that I thought a lot about and thinking of while I was writing the book and writing this guide to being boldly and thinking about how Frida overcame so many of her own insecurities and so many challenges in her life. And also while thinking about, you know, her own connection to her Latin culture and being Mexican and how proud she was, all of that really just got me thinking about about how this was something that I really, you know, I felt like it was finally time that I did something about it instead of always just considering it an insecurity. And, you know, also thinking about the fact that we're hoping it looks like sometime next year, the book will be translated into Spanish. And for me, it would be such a dream to be Ooh, able to, that's to do. Yeah, exciting. I'm super excited about that. I'll keep you posted when we have a date. But, you know, for me, just think the dream of being able to do an interview completely in Spanish about the book, especially once it hits the Spanish market, is something that I would love to be able to do. So that was kind of what motivated me and um, you know we're also in a pandemic so it's easier than ever to take virtual classes so I did classes through there's a, an online immersion program called Fluenz and it was it was awesome and it was one of the best decisions that I made so I, I did those classes for six weeks and then I'm actually going to start um, some ma- like a maintenance program and continue with the program probably sometime in January so highly recommend Fluenz but also you know for anyone who has ever dealt with that insecurity around speaking a language, you know, I totally relate, but I think that it's really, it's really important. And a lot of it is really just in your head. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Cause I hadn't even heard about Fluence until I read that article prior to that. It was all Rosetta Stone and Duolingo is all I had heard of. Right. Right. I right. To learning it, but I thought that was such a cool thing. They did immersing everyone into the language and now with the pandemic being, you know, now online, but with it was it was it your agent that sent you a message or was like hey do you mind doing an interview all in Spanish or can you was that what like was the final trigger where you're like okay I need to do this ASAP yeah that was definitely one of I think the final kind of nail for me was that you know she emailed me and asked how I feel if I feel comfortable doing any interviews in Spanish because she was just looking at different outlets to pitch to talk about the book and things like that and so as I responded and had to let her know, like, I don't feel comfortable enough with my Spanish to do interviews. That was, I think, the final moment for me where I was like, okay, like, I can't, you know, I can't be here writing this book about living your life boldly and then not living my own life boldly and and letting something as silly as a language barrier deter me from going after my dreams. So that was definitely, I think, a big mind shift for me. Mm -hmm. And I love how we keep talking about living boldly and authentically too, because, I mean, someone else writing it would have been like, no, I don't do interviews in Spanish and full stop. But the fact that you're like, you know what? I need this to be authentic. I cannot put myself out there and feel good about saying, you know, you need to live your life boldly when I'm hiding behind something that I've wanted to do all this time. Let me just go and do it. So that was brave on you. And it was dope. So I'm excited that you've learned and you're continuing to learn the language. And also you're just living in your truth and you're being authentic in your writing process, which I appreciate. Thank you so much. I think that's something that I always strive to do is that 
especially in writing, I think that the best writing is the most authentic and true to who you are. You can never follow anyone else's blueprint or try to to emulate what anyone else is doing. So I, I always try to be as vulnerable and as real as possible as I can in my writing when it comes to both my work with O and also um, with this book. Mm-hmm. And it definitely shines through in both cases. And some may look at you and look at your life right now and be like, hashtag goals, honey. So, <laughs> you know, I know as an author that there have been times of doubt and difficulty. Like you could write the best book in the entire world, in the history of the world, and you would still doubt yourself when you put it out there. Like, what are people going to think? So what would you say has been the most challenging part of the book writing journey for you? I think the most challenging part, I mean, for me, aside from the time, which I mentioned earlier, you know, finding the time and, and making sure that I did this book justice. I mean, Frida what is one of the most famous people in history. She's iconic. She is someone who's so well known. And there has been an Oscar nominated movie done about her and countless books. And so all of that was definitely intimidating, knowing that I wanted to make sure that I really did my research and that I got it right. So I think that that was probably the biggest first kind of hump to overcome. And then also the fact that even though I am Latina and I'm very proud of that, I also know that I'm not Mexican. And so being Puerto Rican and wanting to make sure that in addition to celebrating her for being Latina, but that I specifically wanted to make sure that to pay tribute to her being Mexican and to um, capture her connection to her her native Mexico and, and her culture and how much she loved it. Those were two things that were a bit um intimidating or challenging when I first started the project. And I, I kind of wondered like how am I ever going to overcome this? But both, um, I think the best thing that I could have done while for writing this book was I took a week off from my day job and went to Mexico City and stayed in Coyacan, which is the neighborhood that Frida's from. And I literally just, that tr- I kind of treated that as my writer's retreat. So that week was like basically where I did nothing but anything for the book. So it was like time set aside just to work on this project and also to just try to see the world through Frida's eyes. I would walk around her neighborhood and try to envision it was like the 1930s and just try to channel my inner Frida. I would go to La Casa Azul, which is the house that she grew up in that's now a museum. Um, I went to several other museums and some like bookstores and libraries to get rare books that were only available in Mexico. And then at night, I would just literally spend hours writing and writing until like the wee hours of the morning. So that I think was probably the best decision I could have made because creatively just really got my juices flowing. And I also had a lot more time to just like focus specifically on the book and writing. But also I feel that, you know, actually going to Mexico and really talking to locals and speaking to people at the museum and just like soaking up the essence of, of where she was from added a lot to the book and really helped to inform me as, as the writer. So I think those are probably the two challenges that I overcame. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And in the book itself, I remember reading, and I'm just going to quote it. It said, Frida's fearlessness in the face of flaws can inspire us to get over our own imposter syndromes. Whether we're feeling inadequate in a boardroom or in a relationship, I can imagine that she would tell us, even if we don't quite yet believe it ourselves, to always be our own biggest cheerleaders. We might not be able to control how we feel, but we are in total control of how we project ourselves on the outside. And if we brag about ourselves well enough, we might just start to believe it on the inside too. So I read that and I had to highlight it and I'm like, oh, this is really cool. So can you share a story of a time you've had to become your own cheerleader? We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? 
Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Yeah, I definitely have to be a cheerleader. I think through writing this book, you know, imposter syndrome is real. And even I have had a lot of incredible career accomplishments that I'm very proud of. But even, you know, being digital director for Oprah and all these other accomplishments, I still was like, wow, am I really capable of writing a book? Am I capable of writing a book about freedom? Am I capable of writing like, you know, a biography about one of history's greatest women? There was a lot of doubts at at various times through writing the book. And I think that I definitely had to just try to remind myself like, okay, girl, you can do this. You have done this. You've done that. You have accomplished this. And so there were a lot of times where I think I had to be my own cheerleader to really push myself through the process and to push me past that, that bit of imposter syndrome for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause that can be the thing that holds so many people back. Like they have the vision, they have the talent, but it's just that fear where they're like, can I really do it? So yeah, you have to be your own cheerleader in that instance. So that's amazing. And I cannot let you go without knowing how you managed. And I know you said you were in Mexico for a week, but how did you manage running a team virtually at O while launching a book during a pandemic and witnessing 45? Because <laughs> we know 45 has been acting out and melting down lately. So like, how have you been able to like mentally deal with all of these things and all of these balls that are in the air? It's been tough. I'm not going to lie. You know, I think that everyone would agree. I don't think there's a single person who can say that the last, what, eight or nine months now has been easy. And I think that we've all had to go through our own versions of an adjustment period. For me, you know, I love my job and I used to love commuting to work every day and going to the office and seeing people and interacting with my team. So I definitely think it's been in a much different experience, both creatively, but also even just for my own mental health and just like you're used to interacting with people. And I, and I think that it's different when you're just interacting with everyone on phone calls or Zooms. So I think that was definitely an initial adjustment period. And now I think we're all kind of used to the new normal a little bit. I think communication is key and also just making sure that I'm really in tune with myself and I tend to know when I need a break or when I need some self-care time. So I try to really listen to myself and realize to not, I think that I get to a point where I've had so much screen time where I'm like, okay, I cannot look at a single other story or I cannot look, you know, I can't spend my night just scrolling through Instagram. I need a break. So I'm going to read a book or I'm going to knit or I'm going to watch a show or whatever it is. I just try to stay really in tune with what it is that, you know, that my mind and my body needs so that I can give myself a break every, every so often. Mm-hmm. Being in tune with ourselves is so important. And do you find when you are staring at the screen for too long, whether that's your laptop or your phone, like you get a mini technology headache, like it's not piercing, but it's something where you're like, I need to turn it off and look away. Yeah, I definitely have that. I try. One thing that I do almost every night is I read before bed because I think that just having the break from an actual screen is so necessary. And I've always loved reading and it it always kind of, I think, is a good shift for me to just be off of my phone and off of my laptop or even off of TV and just looking at something on like, you know, actual printed paper and giving myself that break. Oh, cool. I love reading too. I'm reading a book by a friend. I finished your book. So I'm reading a book by a friend of mine right now called Sell Yourself Without Selling Your Soul. So Susan Harrow. And actually he's helped people get onto the Oprah show back in the day and all that. But the question I guess I now have for you is what book are you currently reading? 
Oh, right now I'm reading a book called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, and it's by V.E. Schwab. It's so good. It's hard. It's one of those books that's hard to talk about without giving too much away, but it's basically <laughs> about a girl. Uh, it's about a girl who makes a deal unknowingly and basically ends up living her life where she's immortal, but no one can remember who she is. And it sounds kind of out there, but it's so good and so well-written and I haven't been able to put it down. So I'm, I'm actually just finishing that up now and I'm looking forward to a few days off for the holiday to get a little bit more reading time in. Mm, that's a good sign when you can't put it down. Do you yeah. typically read um, fiction books or are you like a mix between fiction and nonfiction? How does it work for you? I'm definitely a fiction girl. That's my first love. And so it's funny because I never really would have thought I would write a nonfiction book first, but that's just kind of how life worked out for me. But I'm definitely, I love a great novel and I love just, you know, escaping into a story that's completely made up. Mm, I'm the opposite where I, I love fiction. I do, but I just feel like I don't have time to read it like that. So I'm reading a lot of business books and things like that, but I always make time for like at least one a month. So like, I know Paulo Coelho came out with a new book. And I love The Alchemist. So I'm like, I have to read that one. So I'm going to read that one soon. That's, that is definitely a good one. I would highly recommend. Oh, his newest book, or you mean The Alchemist? Well, The Alchemist I love, but I also his newest one, I got a preview of and I, anything oh, that he writes, I'm jealous. I, I love. Yeah, yeah, I pre-ordered it. So it's on my audiobook. So I have it on Audible. I need to listen to that one, but I need the physical book. I miss going into a bookstore and just smelling it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I love The Alchemist. I read it once a year because it's just one of my favorites. Such so, a classic. It is. How can people continue to follow you on your journey? Because I'm sure they're listening to this interview and they're like, oh my goodness, I love what she's saying. I want to just follow it all. So how can they, you know, continue to follow you on your journey? Thank you so much for that. They can follow me. I'm the most active on Instagram. I'm on Instagram all the time. So they can follow me on Instagram at Ariana Gab. It's A-R-I-A-N-N-A-G-A-B. And yeah, that's where I post all the things about the book, about my day job. So they can feel free to follow me there. And then the book is available now at any bookstore. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble. If you want to support your local independent bookstore, you can go to bookshop.org and it will tell you which local indie bookstore by you um, is carrying the book. So yeah, it's available now. Oh, that's so cool. And I love that you mentioned that with the indie books, because that's something a lot of people don't necessarily think about, right? They're just like, I want a book, I'm supporting, but it's super important now more than ever to support the little stores as well. So I'm glad you have that little piece in there as well. Of course. Oh my goodness. So it was exciting talking with you. I'm so excited that for your book and all the things that are to come for you, because actually, do you have plans? What's your five-year plan? Random question at the end, I know. You know, it's kind of hard to say right now, given I think that, you know, we're in a pandemic, so much is kind of (laughs) uncertain and changing right now. I don't really know for sure, but I do know that, you know, I love writing and editing. I love anything, you know, in media. I definitely think that I want to stay in media to some extent. And I definitely also hope that there will be another book, hopefully in the next five years. We'll see. I'm kind of noodling on a few ideas. So yeah, I definitely think probably a a book too, and hopefully just continuing to do what I love in the world of, of media and writing and editing. That's exciting. And I'm going to share your links below for your Instagram page as well, because I heard you mention you're on there a lot. Is your Beyonce um, highlight still up? Because that, when you went to, it was a Coachella, <laughs> and I think you went to the On The Run as well, but that whole highlight made my day one time I watched it. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I don't think I have highlights anymore. When I went to Coachella, I love, I mean, I'm a huge Beyonce fan, so I think you're probably talking about when I went to Beyonce, and, and anytime I've seen her perform, I've just absolutely freaked out. So that's like one of the things I cannot wait to do once the pandemic is over, is to go to a Beyonce concert. 
Oh man, I love it. The last one I went to was the On the Run too. She was amazing in Miami. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> She's so, always so good live. Seriously, like anyway, I could honestly everybody knows that's listening that I could talk about Beyonce all day because she's just <laughs> <laughs> so my last question I love to ask at the end of every single interview for Freedom Slave Podcast is what does freedom mean to you? Such a good question. You know, I think for me, I think freedom is literally just listening to your gut and following your instincts and being who exactly who you are. I think that it's especially hard, I think, especially in the social media era when we have so many messages and so many, we're seeing so many other people's lives. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure to be something that you're not or to live your life according to somebody else's playbook. But I think that if you can live your life exactly as you feel you're meant to be and and make decisions based on what you feel is best for you and by following your own instincts, I think that's the most free that anyone can ever be is to just live live their life according to what they want and how they feel versus living it according to anybody else. So for me, I think that that, that feels like freedom. For sure. And thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lovely conversation. Isn't Ariana great? I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll link below in the show notes to Ariana's book and social media handles, all the things we chatted about in this episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and take a screenshot and take us over on Instagram. I'm Ekenete, as you know, that's G-A-Y-N-E-T-E. Yep, just one T. And she's at Ariana Gab. That's A-R-I-A-N-N-A, Ariana Gab is G-A-B. Okay, we'll chat next time. Adios. Okay, okay, I see you, Freedom Slayer. You stayed through to the end, which tells me that you likely enjoyed this episode. Listen, if you haven't already, do your sister a favor by heading on over to the iTunes store to leave a review for the podcast. It'll help others like you find a benefit from it. And look, it also helps with the rankings. Hashtag transparent AF. I appreciate you. 